able to do that. Galatians 5, and then we'll be in 22 and 23. And then we'll read James 1, 21 together. Beginning in verse 22 of Galatians 5, the Bible says, read it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Turn over to James chapter 1 and look at verse number 21 with me. Remember, our theme this year is rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ. And we're going through the fruits of the Spirit here at the end of the year, one at a time. Look at verse 21 with me. It says there, read it with me. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The series is this, producing through the Spirit. It's this idea that as I yield to God's Spirit, there are things that He will manifest in my life in a way that are abundant and supernatural. Uh, Each of these nine fruits are brought out in our life. And this week's sermon is this, meekness matters. Meekness matters. Matters. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us as we look at a truth that isn't preached about very often? And Lord, a truth that really should be practiced more in our lives. Help us to not only understand it, but help us to commit to go forth and allow you to grow us in this area. May this fruit begin to grow and ripen and be not only a benefit toward in our life, but also be something that would be you would look down upon and see as pleasing in your sight. Give me clarity of mind, and Lord, liberty to speak and say those things which you would have me to say. And Lord, we pray if there's somebody here this morning that does not know Christ as their Savior, that they'd get that settled today before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm going to start by giving you um, the nine fruits of the Spirit here. And um, how I think that maybe you could break them down. Uh, And so this won't be on the back of your bulletin there where you can fill in the blanks. But if you have another place you can scribble this down, you'd still like to do that, I'd encourage you to. The first three fruits found in Galatians 5, I believe, are inward fruits. Inward fruits. Love, joy, and peace. This is who we are on the inside. Either you uh, love God and others or you don't. Either you're filled with joy or you're not. Either you are a peaceful person or you are a person that's filled with contention and discord. Love, joy, and peace. As I surrender to God, as I submit my life to the Lord, these three fruits will begin to grow and bloom and blossom inside of me. Now listen, I can fake love to the world around me, but deep down inside I know whether or not I love others. I can I can pretend as though I love God, but God knows inside whether or not that that fruit of the love of God is blossoming blossoming on the tree of my heart. Joy the same way. Uh, peace the same way. Uh, the next set of three fruits given to us in Galatians 5 are outward fruits. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. This is how I treat others. 
This is how I treat others. Either I am going to be willing to suffer long with someone's poor behavior in an attempt to get, bring them along and get them along, uh, or I'm not. Either I'm going to be gentle in my spirit and attitude toward other people, or I'm going to be brash and sharp and harsh and pointed. Um, uh, either I'm going to treat people with the goodness that God has given me, or I'm not. Now, we look Looked at when we looked at the topic of goodness uh, about a month ago, we talked about how that good is just one letter away from God, and evil is just one letter away from devil. And as I'm treating others with goodness, what I'm doing is I'm taking all of who God is, and I'm allowing those uh, aspects to be channeled through me onto others. And so we have inward fruit, we have outward fruit, and then we have upward fruit. Upward fruit. The last three deal with my uh, attitude, my spirit toward God directly. Love, joy, and peace are who I am on the inside. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness are how I treat others. Faith, meekness, and temperance, these three are pointed at God. These three are pointed at God. Faith, meekness, and temperance. Either I'm walking with God by faith or I am walking uh, my life devoid of God by fear. Either my spirit toward God is one of respect and one of perspective and one of trust and submission or meekness, or it's not. Either I'm going to temper uh, my flesh and mortify the deeds of my flesh and allow God to lead me in a temperate lifestyle, and I'm going to give God a temperate lifestyle, or I'm not. So we have inward fruits, we have outward fruits, and we have upward fruits. Now, let me show you here how I believe this works. If my heart loves God and loves others, if my heart loves others the way I'm commanded to over and over again in Scripture, then I'm going to have a long-suffering spirit toward others. If I love God with all my heart, you tracking with me this morning? If I love God with all my heart, then I'm going to walk by faith and I'm going to trust Him every step of the way because love and faith are interconnected. Now look here, if my heart is filled with the joy of the Lord, then you know how I'm going to treat other people? I'm going to treat them with gentleness. Now, you can treat anybody who's nice to you with gentleness. That's not hard to do. Boy, if you gave me a million dollars, I'd have no problem being gentle toward you. You know what? I could treat you like my best friend for the rest of my life. Uh, if you were always kind to me, I'd have no problem being gentle or kind back. The Christian is not marked by how gentle he is with people who are kind or gentle toward him. The Christian is marked by how gentle are you toward others who are not so gentle with you. Can you give gentleness in the face of wrath? Can you give kindness when someone is cruel? And so if my heart is filled with the joy of the Lord, then you're not going to be able to rain on my parade. I'm going to be gentle in my attitude toward you. Now, by the way, if my heart is filled with joy, I'll have a meek spirit toward God. Let me read you a verse that ties joy uh, toward the Lord and meekness together. Listen to Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 19. Listen intently here. It says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So what it's saying here is that if I am meek to the degree that I am meek, I will experience a joy in the Lord. And uh, you can make the correlations with peace, goodness, 
and temperance as well. This morning, we're going to focus on this idea of meekness. And I'd like to begin the topic of meekness this morning by looking at the only person in the Bible other than Jesus that's called meek. Turn over to Numbers chapter number 12 with me. Numbers 12. That would be the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's the fourth book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 12. And let's look at verse number 3. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and then a portion of the book of Psalm, also the book of Job. And so look at Numbers chapter 12 and verse number 3. The Bible says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now it's a good thing God told Moses to write that. Otherwise Moses would have been bragging on himself. Uh, But God said, Moses, write this down. Moses, you are very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I read this in preparation for this message, I scratched my head and I said, Moses? Moses? Meek? Now, here's what happens. Um, We go through our lives and we have the grind. We have the struggles. And then we come to church and the Bible, the Bible is open and we hear about, you know, Abraham and Moses and David and, and Joshua and, you know, all the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We hear about all the people in the Bible and we think, well, you know, they, they were, you know, pious and holy and, and they didn't, they didn't have the struggles of life that I have. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. Turn over with me to Exodus chapter number two. Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. Moses labeled meek? Wait a minute. Moses labeled meek? Look at Exodus chapter 2 and look at verse number 11 with me. Here we find Moses. He is the prince of Egypt. He is uh, uh, he's, ado- uh, he's Pharaoh's adopted son. And he's been raised in the palace. He's been given the best of food to eat, the best education to have. He's grown up having the golden spoon in your mouth. Part of the royal family of one of the greatest nations in Israel. But he knows that he is a Hebrew and his heart is beginning to lean toward the Hebrews. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass in those days. When Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that uh, there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrew strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou the fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill? Kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian. And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses flew from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses, a meek man. Boy, Moses is out there. He's Egyptian in his where he lives, but he's a Hebrew in his heritage, in his lineage. His mom and dad are Hebrew. And he goes out and he sees the Hebrew people are being persecuted and, and beaten and enslaved. And he sees an Egyptian man who's taken it just a little too rough on one of the Hebrews. So he bows up and he murders the Egyptian man and he buries him in the sand. Does that sound like someone who is meek? A murderer. A murderer. 
You say, well, pastor, I can't be meek. I, I have a temper problem. Well, I would say Moses had a temper problem, but God still called him the meekest man walking the earth. Turn back over to Numbers and turn, uh, look at chapter number 20 with me. All those years later, God would choose uh, 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 Moses and, and bring him out of the wilderness of Midian and have him lead the Israelites. By the way, uh, Israelites out. By the way, while you're finding Numbers chapter 20 and verse number 7, can I say this? What it only took Moses 20 years to learn in the palace, it took 40 years for him to unlearn and relearn on the backside of the wilderness. Moses was taught, drive the sheep under Pharaoh... And and under God, leading sheep in the wilderness, literal sheep in the wilderness, he was taught to love and lead the sheep. God said, you learned the wrong model of leadership under Pharaoh. I'm going to teach you the right model of leadership. Hang out with these sheep in the backside of the desert where nobody is. And after he had been there for 40 years, he comes up on a burning bush that isn't consumed. And God calls to him out of that bush. And to, to, to make a long story short, God sends Moses from that experience back into Egypt where there's now a new Pharaoh to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and across the desert toward the promised land. And now we find Moses. Moses, he's embattled, and I would say at this point in Numbers 20, he's even embittered. He's embittered at the people that God has given him to lead. They have murmured, they have complained, they have flat wore him out. And we see that that temper that, that God had given him victory over begin to flare up again. Look at Numbers chapter 20, look at verse number 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. He was commanded to do what? He was commanded to speak to the rock. And look here. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Okay? So, uh, uh, just just pause here to give you a little bit of history. He had already struck a rock once. As commanded by the Lord earlier, he had struck the rock once and water came flowing out of that rock so the Israelites and their beasts, their animals could have water. This is the second time and God says, I don't want you, I don't want you to strike the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. But, but Moses is angry. Moses is furious with the people. Look down at verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels! Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now, God did go ahead and send the water. But please know here that Moses disobeyed the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord. He struck the rock out of anger. Does that sound like a meek man? Is Moses being a meek, submissive man right here, following God's will for his life? Now, here's what I want to get, uh, take from you. I'm, I'm not trying to contradict with Scripture. I'm trying to draw out a larger point. Oftentimes, we'll read the Bible and we'll hear about how Abraham was a man of great faith, and he was. But we forget that Abraham wasn't always a man of great faith. We read about how Moses was this meek Christian, this meek uh, uh, follower of the Lord. But we, we forget that Moses wasn't always a meek 
follower of the Lord. Hey, can I tell you this morning, if you trip and fall along the way as a Christian, you know what that makes you? That makes you normal. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, it says, A just man falleth seven times, but riseth up again. It's not wrong to fall. Rather, it's, it's not, it's not, the problem is not falling. The problem is when you stay down. You stay down. You gotta get up and you gotta dust yourself off and you have to keep going. You know, listen, Moses murdered that man way back in Exodus, but can I tell you what Moses did? He didn't run from God, he ran to God. Here Moses struck the rock twice and he hurt the pic, the picture of Christ only being struck uh, uh, once for our sins. And that typology was struck down um, uh, uh, to use, uh, uh, I guess uh, I'm using a, what's the term there? I'm being... Um, um, Pun intended. There you go. There's the term. Pun intended. He, uh, he was struck down by God. He struck the rock twice. And God told him, he said, you cannot go into Israel. Can I tell you what a non-meek man would have done? Well, why God? Why can't I go into Israel? Or, or why can't I go into the promised land? Uh, uh, God, if you're not going to let me go in the promised land, I'm not going to lead your people anymore. I quit. And God said, no. You struck the rock. You can't enter into Israel. And you know what Moses did? He put his head down and he said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He accepted the consequences for his action and did so with a meek attitude. Hey, Christian, when God comes along your path and he punishes you for your actions, do you accept the punishment or do you bow and bucket the punishment? Moses was called a meek man, not because he was perfect, but because when he did wrong, he was quick to accept the consequences for his action. Here's what I want to draw out of the introduction, and we'll get right into the outline. Meekness is a fruit that takes time to develop in your life. It's not something that comes natural. Meekness is something that we must work at with the Lord to see become abundant in our life. Furthermore, meekness is not necessarily the way I treat you, although at times it is. Meekness comes down to my attitude toward God. We're going to look at a bunch of verses on meekness in a few minutes. And I did a deep, deep Bible study on that word this week in Scripture. Can I tell you what I found? Most of the verses in the Bible that deal with meekness deal with my attitude Toward the Lord. And we're going to look at those here in just a moment. Am I submissive to God and His plan for my life? Am I willing to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. And Lord, this doesn't make sense right now. And Lord, this seems chaotic. And Lord, this isn't the direction I wanted to go. And Lord, this wasn't my intent. But God, your way is best, even when I don't understand. Even when I don't get it. A meek attitude. A meek attitude. There are nine fruits listed in Galatians chapter 5. And as I have gone through and studied them, what I have seen is some of those, some of those fruits are growing and abundant in my life. Can I tell you other ones are not so growing and abundant in my life? Sometimes when I'm studying uh, the Bible on these, God says, that one right there, boy, that's, that's anemic in your life. That's weak in your life. That one could be better in your life. As I studied this topic of meekness this week, God hit me between the eyes and said, Richard Lejeune, meekness is an area you can improve in. And so this morning, I'm as much preaching to me as I am to you. Let's look at what the Bible says about meekness this morning. We're going to look at, let's see here, four points about meekness, and we have some subpoints to go with some of them. Let's dive into the outline this morning. Number one, notice our call 
to meekness. Our call to meekness. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse number 22 again with me. It says there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Uh, If you are a child of God, one of the trademarks of being a child of God is a meek spirit, our call to meekness. James chapter 1, verse number 21, we looked at just a few minutes ago. You don't have to turn back over there, but let me let me read it for you if I could. James chapter 1, verse 21 says this. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity or abundance of naughtiness, and receive with meekness, with meekness, the engrafted word. You know what that means is that there is a change in the way I live once I become a child of God. There is a ripping out of the old and a grafting in of the new, and I will not let God graft in the new to make me a better person unless I have a meek spirit toward my God. Change is not fun. God comes down into your life and he says, that sin, got to go. Let's get rid of that and let's put this in instead. And we say, but, but I don't want to. God says, hey, that music that you've been listening to that pleases the devil, that's got to go. Here's some good Christ-honoring music I want you to put in its place. Hey, that language that you used prior to being saved, and that's... Oh, that's got to go. That, that, that abundance of naughtiness has got to go. Let me bring in a new vocabulary that a Christian ought to use. And the only way that process is going to take place is if I come to God and I have a meek spirit toward God. Again, the Christian life, meekness matters. Meekness matters. Our call to meekness. You say, well, pastor, can you help me? Understand what meekness is a little bit more. A definition I pulled up for meekness is this. Meek means mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries. Given to forbearance under injuries. It's, Lord, you're going to tear me down and build me back up, and I'm not going to stop that process. I'm going to yield. I'm going to submit. I'm going to honor what you want. Um, A.W. Tozer, listen closely here. This is one of these parts of the messages. I promise I'm going to work to keep your attention. Right here, you're going to have to pay attention on purpose. I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to sit up, and, and I'm going to read something to you, and I want you to really try to grab hold of this. If you do, I guarantee you to be a blessing to you. A.W. Tozer once wrote, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That is his motto. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. Our call to meekness. Number two, notice the corruption of meekness. The corruption of meekness. Now, 
Um, if uh, the world were to hear a message like this, if someone who is not scripturally minded were to hear a message like this, they would scoff, they would mock it, uh, they would have no room for it. Can I tell you what the world's mantra is about meekness or just about getting ahead in life? Here it is. Meekness is weakness. Meekness is weakness. Boy, if you're meek, you're going to get run right over. You're just going to get taken advantage of. Everyone is going to run right over you. Here's another one. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. If you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. If you don't look out for yourself, boy, everyone else is just going to leave you standing there and pass you by. You must look out. For number one, I'm going to tell you, I'm 35 years old, and I know that's young compared to some of the people in the room, but I'm going to tell you, I'm old enough to have learned this. I'm pretty good at looking out for myself all by myself. That's my nature. That's my nature. Can I tell you what is hard for me to do? Is to say, Lord, your will before my will. Lord, you first, other second, me last. I have a hard time with that. Am I alone this morning? Does anybody else have a hard time with that uh, this morning? Putting others in front of you, putting the Lord in front of you and others, and putting Him first and saying, Lord, I will be meek, I will be submissive, I will trust you. Meekness comes down to trust. If I really do trust God, then I'm going to trust that He will elevate me, and I don't have to elevate myself. I think one of the great examples of meekness in the Bible is Joseph. Now, Joseph was um, thrown into a pit and sold into slavery as a young lad. And uh, Moses, or uh, rather, uh, Joseph, Joseph was uh, sold into slavery. I got my Bible characters mixed up there. Uh, was sold into slavery as a young lad and uh, landed in Egypt. By the way, this is how they got, how, this is how the Israelites got into Egypt. But landed into Egypt and um, uh, there was put up on a slave block and sold as a slave. And uh, a man named Potiphar bought him. Do you know what Joseph did? He said, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know uh, why you would let this happen to me. But I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put others second. I'm going to put me last. And so you know what Joseph did? He worked hard. Everything Potiphar told him to do, he went the extra mile. He took it to another level. And then what happened? Potiphar's wife saw him being elevated in her husband's house, saw that he was in charge of everything, and Potiphar trusted him. And so Potiphar's wife came at him and, and, and tried to make a move on him, and Joseph wouldn't give in, so she lied about him, and Joseph is thrown all the way down into the dungeon. He's enslaved, rather imprisoned for what he did. You know what Joseph didn't do? Joseph didn't say, well, I have to stand up for myself and fight. Because no one else is going to stand up for me. You know what Joseph did? He just did the chores given to him in the dungeon. And day by day, he did what he was told. He did what he was told. He loved the Lord. He didn't uh, quit following the Lord. He didn't quit following those who were in charge of him. Eventually, he was put in charge of the prison. And then a man there would tell the king later about Joseph. And Joseph would be pulled out of the prison and made second in command of the whole world. You know what Joseph did? He said, I'm going to have a meek attitude toward God. And I'm going to trust him that he'll get me where he wants me to go. 
The corruption of meekness. Many of you come in the door today and you say, I can't have a meek attitude toward God. I've got to look out for me so I can get ahead. If you have a, I have to look out for me so I'll get ahead attitude, then God's just going to keep putting you down and putting you down and putting you down. Remember what James 4 says. It says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will do what? He'll lift you up. It's a matter of that meek attitude, the corruption of meekness. Number three this morning, notice with me, if you will, the characteristics of the meek. The characteristics of the meek. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study here this morning. And so get ready to uh, uh, turn the pages in your Bible and, and let's look at how a meek man or woman behaves. Notice letter A. Notice a content heart. A content heart. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter number 22. And look with me at verse number 26. I put the wrong verse down on my notes here. Give me, give me a moment. Okay. The verse I'm looking for, I, I, I put down the wrong, wrong chapter, I believe, for Proverbs. But the verse, what it says is that when, we're, when we have a meek heart, we eat and we're satisfied. We eat and we're satisfied. All right. Here's the truth here is that many people eat and they're never, they, they just want more. They want more. They look and they want and they want more. Now, um, um, is, is there, is enough ever enough? Is enough ever enough? John D. Rockefeller on his deathbed was asked, what else do you want? And he said, he's, now remember, he's the richest man on the planet. He said, I want one more dollar. I want one more dollar. He wasn't content. He didn't have that meek heart. Now, we talked about contentment last week out of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But let me just harp on this just for a moment here. Are you listening to me? If I trust God that everything he gives me is what I need, then that should be enough. That should be enough. Um, to all the parents in the room this morning. You ever had a child on Christmas morning cross their arms and complain they didn't get a little more? You just spent, you know, whatever it was. And they cross their arms and say, well, I was really hoping I could have that. Well, I was really hoping I could have an American Girl doll or I could have the newest PlayStation. And you're looking at your bank account and you don't have any money left. Or even worse, you're thousands of dollars in debt to Visa. And you think, you spoiled brat. (laughs) After all that, you're going to sit there and complain? We live in the richest country in the history of mankind. We have more things than kings of yesteryear would have ever dreamed of having. You say, well, Pastor, I just live in an apartment. I don't own my own home and... Do you have plumbing in your apartment? When you turn the sink on and off, does it work? When you open the refrigerator, is it cold? 
Do you understand these are luxuries that people just 100, 150 years ago, they didn't have. These are things kings who thought they had the world on their finger never experienced. Do you have two pennies to rub together in your pocket? If you are meek, that means you trust the Lord. And if you trust the Lord, then what he has given you is enough. It is enough. Letter B, notice a circumspect heart. Turn over to Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse number 9. Proverbs chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25. Well, I'm off, I'm off today, excuse me. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 9. Notice there it says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. Uh, Turn over to James chapter 3, if you will, as well. Hold your place in Psalm. James chapter 3 and verse number 13. Uh, The Bible tells us, it's, it's teaching us here that if I have a meek attitude toward the Lord, I am pliable. And he will teach my heart exactly how it is that I am to behave. James chapter number 3 verse 13 tells us, it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Christian, there's going to be a point in time in your life where God comes to you and he says, I want this to change. I want this to go. I want you to start doing this. I want you to stop doing that. And you say, well, where is that in the Bible? And God says, it's not in the Bible. I'm not, there isn't a vert chapter and verse. You know, there is no chapter and verse that says, I want Richard Lejeune to pastor White Oak Baptist Church. That's not in here. But as I walk with the Lord and I have a meek spirit toward God, God moves in my heart and says, I want you to go over here and do this. Hey, you're getting into the U-Haul. Your body is tired and weary from carrying that heavy piano into the Morales' house and uh, all the other things that you moved. And it's been a crazy week and there's all sorts of things going on at the church house and, and there's all sorts of things you're, you you got going on at your house and uh, your kids uh, are yanking on you. Your wife needs you and your body's tired and your stomach's hungry. But that lady up there, she needs to be told about Jesus. And God prompts and says, you going to do what I want? Or are you going to do what you want? A circumspect heart. That's a heart that says, Lord, it isn't my will, it's your will. Lord, it isn't what I want, it's what you want. Lord, you want me to take 20 minutes out of my day and go over here and help this person that's struggling? You want me to pull over behind this person who's broken down on the side of the road and see if I can give assistance? You want me to pray with a co-worker who's struggling and having a hard time? You want me to take a little bit of time out of my day and love a little bit extra on that child at my home that's uh, world's falling apart because they made a bad grade on a test? You want me to take my wife out on a date because... Uh, uh, she's frazzled or having a hard time. You want me to uh, uh, give out a gospel tract to the person on the other side of the gas pump? Okay, Lord, whatever you want, not what I want. I want to walk circumspectly. 
I want to walk carefully. I heard a preacher say one time that to walk circumspectly is like a cat walking on a fence with dogs on both sides yelping. Each step matters. One false step and you're in trouble. And God says, I'm going to give you my wisdom. By the way, God gives us his wisdom day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. I'm so glad that God didn't do to me what he did to Solomon. God just backed the truck up and dumped it all on Solomon at once. And you know what? In a lot of ways, all that wisdom landing on Solomon at one time kind of ruined him. God says, he says thus, he says, you need to come to me daily and ask for that wisdom. And you need to do that with a meek spirit. Um, boy, I didn't plan on saying this here, but I think it, it really should be said. We live in a very entitled age where people think they deserve everything. I deserve a job. I deserve a check. I deserve a phone. I, it, 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 whatever it is. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. I don't deserve anything. You know what I deserve? You, know, you all know, you know, right? Boy, I deserve for this floor to open up and for me to fall straight into hell. That's what I deserve. There is that is within my flesh no good thing. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? I don't have any rights as a creation of God. And God says, you come to me and you ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you in abundance. But I need to ask him daily and I need to ask with a meek heart. Not a, Lord, you better give me wisdom. Hey, Lord, I'm back in your presence again and... Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. I don't know what, what problems are going to come my way. I, I don't know what heartache I'm going to hear about. I don't know what uh, a, a hard issue I'm going to deal with. And Lord, in the big things and the little things, I want to do it your way. And so, Lord, you fill me with your wisdom. A meek heart is a circumspect heart. Notice, letter C, a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart. Isaiah chapter number 29 And verse number 19, this ties back in with that joy uh, uh, that we looked at, uh, or I read this verse to you a few few minutes ago here. It says, the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. You know, it sure is a whole lot better in life when you walk around with a happy spirit than you do when you walk around with a sour spirit. Uh, You don't need to be Eeyore. Okay. Any Eeyores in here this morning? Um, you just walk around with your head down and you just, you know, down at the dumps all the time. And you always see the glass 10% empty, not 90% full. It's not even half empty. You, you know, you find the one negative thing and point that out. A cheerful heart. A cheerful heart. And, and listen, a, a person who is meek is saying, look... I am totally surrendered to what God wants me to do, and God has my best interest at heart, and I trust Him, and as He moves, I follow. He leads, I follow. He leads, I follow. And when I set down this rebellious spirit, this rebellious attitude, this my way above God's way, and I say, Lord, I'm just going to seek Your face, and I'm going to do it Your way, God begins to put this calmness in our heart, this contentment in our heart. He puts this spirit in our heart of, Lord, I can put a smile on my face, even in the trial, that everything's going to be all right. 
boy, this, uh, these last two weeks I have done a whole lot more praying than I even normally do. It's been a trying couple of weeks. Without going into, de- any, into any details, um, my wife walked into my office on Tuesday this week and she said, why are you so happy? And I looked at her and said, because I just spent a lot of time with the Lord and he has settled my spirit. He has put his joy in my heart. You know, when you hit a time in your life of just total tumult, the waves of life are, you know, rocking and the storm is overhead and it's just, you're just being dumped on. And you think, I can't. I can't do this. The best thing you can do is run into the presence of the Lord and he's going to put a smile on your face and in your heart. The world looks at it and goes, how in the world are you smiling right now? Because I have a meek spirit toward my God and I trust him. And he's put a cheerful, he's given me a cheerful heart. Notice next, letter D, a Christ-like heart. A Christ-like heart. Matthew chapter number 11 and verse 29 might be as important of, uh, as any other verse that we read this morning. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29. Here we find uh, uh, Jesus uh, with his, uh, with his uh, disciples and he's instructing them. He says, back up to verse 28. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn of me. What is it of our Lord, of our Savior, of our Christ that we're to learn? Look here. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Turn over just a few pages to chapter number 21 and verse number 5. Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 5. Tell ye the daughters of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Did Jesus come riding into Jerusalem on a white stallion? Did he come riding in and, 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 and glitz and glamour and, and, and trumpets being played? And, and, and No, Jesus went and sat on a donkey, a lowly donkey. And he came riding in that first Palm Sunday on a donkey. Why? Because he came in with a meek spirit, a meek spirit. Listen, if meekness worked for Christ, then meekness will work for me and you. If meekness worked for our Savior, I think it turned out okay for him. It'll work out for us. Meekness is a grace which Jesus alone taught and which no ancient philosopher seemed to have understood or recommended. The concept of meekness began with Christ. Letter E, notice a considerate heart. We've looked at a content heart, a circumspect heart, a cheerful heart, a Christ-like heart. Notice lastly, a considerate heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number two, some of you here this morning may be skeptical of the concept of having a meek spirit uh, toward uh, others in the world. And, you know, no, I I need to be uh, uh, spicy. I need to be salty. I need to push my weight around and I need to stand up for myself or I won't get anywhere in life. Well, let's look what the Bible talks about, uh, talks about this, especially in regards to others. Ephesians chapter four and verse number two says with all lowliness and meekness. 
with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Look there again. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. This attitude of being meek even toward others who have wronged me. Look over, and the Bible gives us an example of how powerful this is. First Peter chapter number 3, uh, if you could turn there. First Peter chapter 3. Here we find uh, Peter laying out some instructions on how a wife is to handle a godless husband. And listen, I believe the formula given here in First Peter 3, uh, there are aspects of it that work for a husband who's married to a godless husband. Wife, But here we have the power of meekness. You say, well, pastor, I can't be meek. People will take advantage of me. Well, hold on a minute. Look at First Peter chapter 3 and look at verse number 4. Speaking to the wife, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. Again, meekness being tied with God there, not man, but meekness is also an attitude we can give toward others. Here's what the passage is saying. You have a wife who's married to a husband who does not believe in God and does not love God. But the wife loves God and she's devoted to God. The Bible says here, you are to submit to him and follow him and honor him while you submit to me and follow me and honor me. And don't have that boisterous, nagging, in-your-face spirit. No, you have a meek and quiet spirit. You submit to him while you submit to me. You submit to me first, you submit to him second. And in time, that meek spirit will win him over. Look back at verse number 1. Of chapter 4. Likewise, or rather, for as much then as Christ... I'm sorry, chapter 3. For likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the lifestyle or the conversation of the wives. Wow! That's powerful! You can live your life in such a way where you're de- deferring to others, you're deferential toward others, you're kind toward others, you're meek toward others, and that spirit can win them to the same. You say, Pastor, that's great theory, but that doesn't work. Yeah, ask Miss Jeannie Wolf about that, whose husband was saved, who, who ran Pastor Brown out of his house, was nasty toward him. And Miss Jeannie lived with that meek spirit, and her husband was saved. Ask Joan Syrett about that, who was married for almost 60 years. Most of that is a Christian. And then within the last 12 to 15 months, her husband bowed his head and was saved. There may not be a woman in the church with a meeker and quieter spirit than Joan Syrett. Ask Pauline Moisick about that. Who's, how long have you been married, Pauline? 61 years, whose husband was saved in the last year or year and a half, uh, uh, who lived with that meek and quiet spirit. And their testimony won their husbands to the Lord. We have three women in our church who have seen the power of meekness. The power of meekness. It's a considerate heart. It's this attitude that, hey, if me and you are going to butt heads on something that's preferential, hey, I'll give in. Hey, I'll do it your way. Hey, it's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll go with what you want. We'll, we'll work to please you, that meek spirit, the characteristics of the meek. Number four, notice a crown for the meek. A crown for the meek. Okay, pastor, so you're telling us to let society step on us. What's, what's so great about that? Well, God has a crown for those who are meek. Letter A, notice their provisions. Their provisions. Can you turn over to Psalm chapter 76 
and verse number 9. Psalm chapter 76. And again, I told you in the introduction, this idea of meekness ties in uh, with um, this idea of meekness ties in with my attitude toward God. And then it ties into God's attitude toward me. Look at verse 9. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah, think on this. God arose in judgment. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. What it's saying here is that, hey, yeah, the meek are getting stepped on, but God, because you've been meek toward him, he's going to step up and he's going to protect you. Divine protection. Zechariah uh, chapter 2 and verse number 3 is right toward the end of the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets. And I didn't print my verses out like I do sometimes. And so now I get to try to quickly find Zechariah on the fly here. Uh, Here it is. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse number 3 says this. Seek ye the Lord, all the meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Here's, Here's what I want you to get from this. God hates pride. You know what the opposite of meekness is? It's a proud heart. It's I have to trust myself because I can't trust anyone else. There's going to come a day where the Lord pours down his wrath on this planet. There's going to come a day where God punishes the proud. And you know who he isn't going to punish? He isn't going to punish those who were meek. He isn't going to punish them. In fact, he's going to hide them from his anger. Divine protection. Uh, notice next, divine restoration. Uh, Psalm chapter 149 and verse number 1. We find how the Bible promises that Jesus will not only protect us, he will restore us. Listen to this. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And his praise in the congregation of the saints. I'm sorry, verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. He will beautify the meek with salvation. God promises he will not only protect you, but he will restore you. Uh, Pride kicks us in the mouth. Pride makes us low. Pride humiliates us. And God says this. He says, I will take the meek. And I will beautify them. Uh, How many of you men here this morning could use some help being beautified? Am I the only one here today? Brother Russo, your hand's up. Brother, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I'm right there with you. Amen? Uh, We need all the beautifying we can get. The Bible says God promises to beautify the meek. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean he's going to take you into the makeup room and fix all your flaws. Makeup would do me no good. Um, maybe a toupee, but makeup would do me no good. Amen. Um, uh, but you know what that does mean is that God will take my life and he will make it fit for his kingdom. The Bible talks about how that uh, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. It doesn't mean that your feet get any better looking. But what it means is that where you go, God blesses. And what this verse is telling us is that if you have a meek attitude, what you do with that meek spirit, God's going to take that and he's going to multiply it. He's going to beautify it. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter 6 
in verse number one. One thing I want you to get good at coming to our church is using your Bible. I hope that after a few months of attending White Oak Baptist Church, you just get to know your Bible real well and you get familiar with that. Galatians 6 verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Not only does God restore me when I'm meek, I can turn around and use meekness to restore you. You can use meekness to restore me. Here's the truth. Your pastor is a sinner. And so are you. You know what sinners do? Sinners sin. And you know what sin does? Sin offends. And so it's a guarantee that if you get close enough to me and you get to know me well enough, at some point, I'm going to do something that offends you. And at some point, you're going to do something that offends me. The Bible says that when you get close to someone who has done something wrong, you which are meek, you restore such a one. That doesn't mean I come up here to Kyle and say, Kyle, I saw what you did. I saw how you behaved. No, I get on my knees before the Lord, I get my heart right, and I pull Kyle to the side, and I'm very lovingly and carefully help him through that. After I make sure I'm not struggling in that area, after I make sure my heart's right, and my intent is not to step on Kyle so I feel more spiritual, my intent is to help Kyle to be more like the Savior. Divine restoration. Divine restoration. We're almost done here. Notice divine elevation. Divine elevation. Let me read for you Psalm chapter 147 and verse number 6 for you if I can. Um, This whole message really can be summed up in James 4 where it tells us that if we will humble ourselves, he will lift us up. Listen to Psalm 147 and um, uh, verse number 6. The Bible says this, it says, The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down on the ground. You know, there's going to come a day where God comes to you. And he's either going to lift you up or he's going to cast you down. He's either going to lift you up or he's going to throw you to the ground. If you are clothed in a spirit of meekness, he's going to lift you up. If you're clothed in a spirit of pride and my way first, he's going to cast you down. John chapter 3 verse 30 is my life verse. He must increase, but I must decrease. John is saying about Jesus, I must be put low so he can be held high. Divine elevation. Letter A, we looked at their provisions. Letter B, notice their promise. Their promise. I'm going to finish the message this morning with a truth I think will, that will excite you. Turn to Psalm chapter 37 and verse number 11. And uh, this is a verse that's repeated uh, almost word for word in Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to see it in the Old Testament. And then I'll share with you uh, the same verse or similar verse in the New Testament. And then we'll make an application and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close it down for today. Psalm 37 Verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Look there. The meek shall inherit the earth. What a large inheritance. The earth. Now, Matthew chapter 5 
in verse number 5, Jesus comes along and he repeats this very similarly. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I'm going to give you an interpretation. Uh, um, I'm going to give you the interpretation. But first, I want to give you an application. Okay? I'm going to give you the interpretation moment. Let me give you an application. Do you know who usually ends up being in control in a situation? The person who's even-tempered and even-killed. That person who's spiked high on emotion and gets angry all the time or is really low all the time. Boy, they're not generally the person who ends up leading the pack. They're generally the person that has to be led. Someone who is meek is someone who inherits the earth. They inherit their, their world around them. Now, let me make, give you the interpretation here. In the Old Testament, the Bible is telling us that the meek shall inherit the earth. Do you know who I believe Psalm 37 is speaking about? It's speaking about Jesus Christ. Because he would come and he would be the first world leader, if you will, to, uh, especially in that time era, to walk in a spirit of meekness. He would be crucified, he would rise again from the dead, and in his meekness now, he leads the earth. He is over the earth. But let me tell you, Jesus comes to us and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is an earthly promise in the Old Testament becomes an eternal promise in the New Testament. It's an eternal promise. Those who walk in meekness, you have an eternal promise that God's going to allow you to rule the earth one day. To rule the earth one day. Now, um, without getting into too much end-time theology here, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule this earth for a thousand years, Revelation teaches us. And you know, he's going to need help running the earth. Or rather, he's going to use us to help him run the earth. And you know who he's going to put in charge of things? Those who walk now with a meek spirit. How's that attitude today toward God? You know how you get ahead in Christian life? By just taking your will and submitting it to the Lord's will. And saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Are you walking in a spirit of meekness? Are there areas in your life that God has put his finger on and said, that needs to change. And you've just bristled and said, no, I'm not going to change that. That's not a meek spirit. A meek spirit says, Lord, it may take me some time. But not my will, but thine be done. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Is the fruit of meekness alive and growing on the tree of your life? Are you walking in a spirit of meekness? Meekness matters. I didn't preach a salvation sermon this morning. But you may be here this morning and you may have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. My friend, there is no church that can get you to heaven. There is no deed or set of deeds you could do that would appease the wrath of God against your sin. The only way for you to get into heaven is for you to accept the fact that you are a sinner. And in that sinful state, you deserve the condemnation of God, the wrath of God, which is hell, fire for all of eternity. You must understand that outside of God stepping in and helping you, you are hopelessly lost. My friend, that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died to suffer in your place. He took hell, he took your hell, and he went through that on the cross. And he looks at you and he says, by faith you must believe in me. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, boy, don't delay. 
Don't wait another moment. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ to save you, please, please come and see me or Pastor Morales or one of our deacons, and we'd love to show you how you can get that settled before it's eternally too late. How many of you here today say, Pastor Lejeune, uh, God pointed out something in the message today about my spirit toward God. I haven't had that meek spirit toward God. Pastor, would you please pray for me that God would help me to do better in this area? If that's you, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? Pastor, please pray for me. I want to be completely surrendered, totally surrendered to God's will. Lord, would you move in our midst this morning, and would you help us, Lord, to walk with a spirit of meekness? Lord, as Moses struggled against his temper, got to a place where he was meek, help us, Lord, to surrender our will so that you can do a great work through us. In Jesus' name.